Amen. Thank you, Andy. Just to help us get into our session today and the, the titles on the screen behind me, I want to just take you back to uh, well, ask you a question about films. I wonder if people enjoy different types of films. I'm sure you do. I guess there's somebody here who doesn't watch any films at all. Um, but I'm sure s- different categories of us enjoy different films. How many of you enjoy science fiction films? A few of you? Okay. How many enjoy action movies? Rom-coms? A few period dramas? Okay. How, who had your hand up for all of them? Okay. Yeah, fine. Thank you very much. I've discovered that you know, millions and millions of pounds or dollars go into making films, and yet the truth is that for many films, you can actually sum them up in just a few seconds. You can sum up a film in just a few seconds. In fact, somebody, some graphic artists have done this, graphic designers have done this, and they've produced a book which is about summing films up in five seconds. So here, see how you get on with these ones. Okay, this is the first one. Any idea what film this is? E.T. This is one of the first films I went to see. And uh, E.T., there we go. So that's the film. Spaceship, someone lands, phone home, flying bike, spaceship at the end. There we go. How about this one? Jurassic Park. I thought it was Godzilla to start with, and then I saw the test tube and stuff like that. This is the next one's probably my, one of my favorites. It's actually a great film, uh, the next one. And it's uh, a series of three. It might help if you realize that's a volcano or a mountain at the bottom. Not a steaming pile of... Yeah, that's Lord of the Rings, everybody. So if, I, so if that's just given the ending away, I'm very sorry about that. If you're waiting to see all three extended versions and you didn't know what happened to the end, that's it, basically. Five seconds to sum up years of making films and watching them. If you're to read the Bible, it takes a little while. It takes a a few months, probably, if you're reading a bit each day. You can read it in a year. We've got a year plan that we're we're issuing in our church magazine and online. You can access that. So you can read through the Bible in in a year. It takes probably 10 to 15 minutes a day. That's all. Uh, You can sit down and read it in in, huge chunks and get through it much quicker than that. But if you're to read through the Bible uh, from, from cover to cover, you discover that at its heart, if you're to summarize the message of the Bible, at its heart is an encounter with God. At the heart of the biblical message is an encounter with God. And a couple of years ago, we, we invested a lot of time in just clarifying what our vision was as a church, and what we felt God had called us to. And at the start of that, it says, uh, a, we see a radiant church encountering God, and everything else flows out of that. And it's really because the big story of the Bible, the meta-narrative, if you like, of the Bible is this, this encounter with God, people meeting with God, God meeting with people. It's the big story of the Bible, where... People had gone away from God, and God comes and rescues people and redeems them and rescues, rescues them, saves them, brings them back to himself. And there's story after story in the Bible of that kind of thing. But the, the way people encounter God changes over the years. And I just want to highlight a couple of bits when we're talking about encountering God today, and particularly answering the question, why is it we gather together as church? Why do we do that? It's all about encountering God, but... Why specifically like this? In the beginning of the Bible, if you're reading through it chronologically in terms of the events that take place, you discover that there's individuals who meet with God quite a lot. There's dramatic events with individuals. We see that some people can encounter God in varied places. Not everybody seems to meet with God, but some people do. And 
And really the first chapters of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, are filled with stories of, of individuals meeting with God. People like Adam and Eve and Cain, and Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, Hagar, Rebecca, Jacob, Joseph had some dreams, they're in there too. All these people encountering God in their own way. And there's chapters written about each of these ones, these famous encounters with God. If you've ever worked with children in, in church or young people, you, these are the kind of stories that get told in our, in our kids' groups, um, stories that we preach from, but incredible stories about individuals encountering God in all sorts of different places. Wherever God chooses to turn up, and whenever he chooses to turn up, and whoever he turns, chooses to turn up with, God shows up. What tends to happen is that people mark the places where God turns up quite often. So Jacob has a, a couple of times where God appears to him and he builds a pillar or a, an item or an altar. And these wandering patriarchs, as we call them, the fathers of the faith, they, they come back across these places and remember where God met with them. These individuals encountering God in various places. An example of this would be in the next book in the Bible, Exodus, where God appears to a guy called Moses. And Moses has um, messed up a little bit his life. God's sort of been involved in his life from the very beginning, but he's blown it a bit. But God turns up at this particular moment when Moses is shepherding, looking after some flocks. And God calls to him and says, the place where you're standing is holy ground. This is an example of one person encountering God in a particular place. God doesn't turn up everywhere, but to individuals. Then we see that a little bit later on, things begin to change. We see that anyone can encounter God somewhere. Let me just say what I mean by this. So God wants to appear to more people. And what he does is he encourages people, the the Israelite people, to, to make a place where God can dwell, where God can be, where God can inhabit. And he says this, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Now God makes this promise to Moses, the same bloke as in the last verse, when Moses is up a mountain, and he hasn't just gone for a walk, he's gone to meet with God. He's gone up a mountain to meet with God because God's told him to. And there's all sorts of things being revealed to Moses. Some of the chapters in Exodus are, cover this story. The, the Ten Commandments and all these kind of things are passed on to Moses at this point. And whilst Moses is up the mountain, God says to him, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among the people. Now, what I haven't told you is that this time, the people are somewhere keeping away from the bottom of the mountain because they're a bit scared about God. They're so scared about meeting with God that they're fearfully keeping away from the bottom of the mountain because God's awesome and scary and big and holy. And actually, there's kind of fire and smoke and all sorts of things symbolizing God's presence. And so the people, far from knowing God and meeting with him regularly, are a long way away. This incredible promise or this command that God gives means that suddenly it's not just one person, Moses, Jacob, whoever it might be that's meeting with God, but actually it's anybody can come to one place and meet with God. This is going to be awesome. God wants to dwell with his people. And so the tabernacle is built. This is what David writes of in Psalm 27, King David. He says, uh, writes a psalm saying, Oh, that I might dwell in your house forever. A little bit, uh, somewhere else is Psalm 23, verse 6. He says, I want to dwell in your house forever. There's this sense of longing for God's presence, a desire for the continued, unbroken, 
presence of God. Oh, that I might stay there in your presence. I'm a king, I'm a shepherd, David's writing, but I want to be in the presence of God. So, firstly, we see that some people can encounter God in varied places. Then we see that anyone can encounter God somewhere. But the day was coming when anyone could encounter God anywhere. This was the promise. God began speaking to the people and saying, it's not just about a few people. It's not just about everyone in a certain place. But there's a day coming when everyone can encounter me anywhere. In Jeremiah 31, I think it is, we read about how God is going to replace our heart, people's hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. He's going to do a work on the inside and transform people from the inside out. In Joel chapter 2, a bit later on in the Old Testament, we read about this, this amazing promise that, that everybody would be able to meet with God, that sons and daughters would be able to prophesy, that men of different ages would be able to dream dreams and see visions. And suddenly God's presence isn't just in a certain place or for a certain few people, but it's going to be everywhere and anywhere for anyone. Amazing. This transition through the whole of the Old Testament. And we get to the New Testament and John the Baptist is baptizing people and he sees Jesus coming to be baptized and he says to his his own followers that the one who the Spirit comes upon and remains is going to be the the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist says that of Jesus, that when he comes, he sees the Spirit remaining on him. Suddenly we have the one who's going to come and make a difference for everybody, that all of us can access the presence of God. I want to tell you today that God is still speaking. He's still turning up and encountering people in varied places. He's still showing us that anyone can encounter him. But this last point is is true for us today, that anyone can encounter God anywhere. If you read the the media or you look at the media, the the stories are told and it it seems like um, there's this rise of militant Islam that is far from God, far from the church's view of God, and is angry and aggressive and there's no way into that. And yet the truth is that God is meeting people in the midst of Islam today. And it's exciting. If you, I've got a book called Miraculous Movements, um, 2012, so it's not the latest, but it re- it's reasonably recent. And this is stories of God meeting with people uh, in Islam. There's one, uh, these guys have done some research over seven years, and they say, it says here, in the last seven years we've had a chance to hear hundreds of stories, and we've learnt much about dreams that God is using to reach Muslim people. This is just one way. God's using many ways to reach people. And they write this, of the, former Muslim, of the former Muslim leaders who are now making disciples and planting churches, about 40% reported a dream or vision of Jesus that prompted them to begin a search to know more about Isa. And the remarkable thing that in all those dreams were unique to them. Even if many of the dreams included similar themes, the context and message were always different and relevant to each person having the dream. We have not recorded exactly the same dream twice. Many were visions of Jesus appearing and encouraging the person to follow him. Some of them compared the Quran and the Bible in very stark and powerfully contrasting images. Some were pictures of heaven and hell. Encouraging? Encouraging? That God's turning up in people's lives and and helping them. Uh, I've heard others speak about, I think Don might have mentioned this, where the team was involved in Jordan. People are talking about seeing the man in white. Have you seen the man in white? 
And, and this is a conversation that's going on as people are having appearances of a man in white appearing to them. And it's Jesus appearing to people today, meeting with people all over the place, varied places, individual people, and not just a few. This is the transition that's happened now, points one to three. Not just a few, not just isolated individuals who have a chapter of the Bible written about them and build a pillar and an altar, but God is appearing all over the place to all sorts of people. Jesus himself gave a promise. In in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This was the promise that God wouldn't just turn up occasionally, but God would stay and remain with us. Roger spoke about going out on the streets and trusting that the Holy Spirit was going with them, that he's filled them, and he has. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and fills us and enables us to serve him. This means that we can know God today. We can know his presence. We can approach him as well confidently. Hebrews chapter 10. Compare this to the image of the mountain with people stood at the base, fearfully keeping their distance. This is what we read towards the end of the New Testament. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. We don't have to stand far off. We don't have to quake and, and quiver and worry about what God's thinking. We can come right into God's presence anywhere we are. And I, and I guess if we had time, I could ask the question, where did you most recently encounter God? And some of you would say today in the service, but before then, what, when was the last time you, you met with God or you encountered God? And we'd hear all sorts of stories. We might hear about being out at a club last night. Roger. Um, or a bar. We might hear about something else that someone's been doing. We might hear about people decorating or gardening or meeting up with some friends or going out for a walk or doing all sorts of things where, where God was meeting with you. Why? Because we can come to him anywhere at any time. And he's with us all the time. We can meet with him. And it's amazing. We don't have to go to one certain place to meet with God. He's available to us anywhere. It's wonderful. Jesus, when he's teaching on prayer, says that if any of you want to pray, this is how you should do it. You should go home, shut your door, and speak to the Father who sees what's done in secret. And when the Father sees what's done in secret, he'll reward you. He tells us that God knows what we need before we ask. So when we're speaking to him privately, God already knows what we need. It's great. We can encounter God at home on our own with no one else there. The Spirit's living inside as well. So why do we bother gathering as church? If we can meet with God anywhere, if meeting with God is, if, we, if what we do on Sundays is about encountering God, why on earth do we bother going through all this process? If we can't just, why can't we just meet on our own with God and do our own thing? Of course we can. But I want to suggest to you today that meeting together with God was something that we were never meant to do on our own long term. It's great to be able to do that, and that forms a vital part of our Christian walk, but it's something that we don't do on our own and only. Why do we gather as a church? Because we were never meant to do this, encountering God on our own. Encountering God was God's plan for us, but he meant us to do that in community. From the very beginning of the Bible story through to the end, we encounter God in community. Those individuals that I spoke of a minute ago and I said, God appeared to significant individuals, it turns out that each one of those was significant in their community. They were a community leader 
or the head of a community or a community representative. So when God's meeting with one person, effectively the whole community is transformed by that one meeting. That's why God chose them, and he met with them. He met with individuals who are significant in their community. Later on, we read that anyone can encounter God. But the early church do that in community. The Old Testament is full of feasts and festivals and people celebrating and encountering God together. So the big picture is this, that when we, as a church, our vision is to be, represent God's vision to this town and this community, to be radiant, but we do that by encountering God And the reason we do that is because we believe that when we gather together, we encounter God together, and we're helping other people do the same. That's what Sundays are about. Me on my own, in my bedroom, with the door locked, I can encounter God powerfully, but I can't help anybody else to encounter God at that moment. I can prepare myself, I can build myself up, I can encourage myself, God can speak to me, and as a result of God speaking to me, others can encounter God more, absolutely, but... When we meet together on a Sunday, we're not only individually meeting with God, but together we are. And you being here, me being here, helps someone else here encounter with God this morning. Encounter God this morning. That's what church is about. That's why we gather together as church. Because it's not just about me. Isn't that good? It's not just about you. This isn't a a kind of public quiet time where we come and have time individually with Jesus This is about us together, gathering together and helping each other encounter God. That's what Sundays are about. I'm going to give you a few passages, then we're going to go on to some practical bits uh, around this, because I want us to see how we can get the most value out of our meeting together with God and helping others do the same. And I just want to anchor it in Scripture as well, so you don't think I'm just making this up. This is what the early church did. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's over there on this poster which says, under gathering, they, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They were meeting somewhere that was public. It was available, it was accessible, it wasn't hidden away. They weren't in their homes, they weren't with doors shut, locked privately, they were in somewhere that was public. Same in Acts chapter 5. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. It's not a shopping center, it's part of the temple courts. Uh, No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Another public meeting. People being added in. Now the point here is not that these meetings were in the open. That's not the point I'm making. The point is that there's an expectation that people would be gathering with them to encounter God with them. Later on we see meetings indoors. Paul has been preaching in a synagogue. He goes uh, and when people are hostile he leaves the synagogue and goes next door. The story carries on. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Another example, Acts 19 in Ephesus. Paul leaves one place. He takes the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Sounds like a Jurassic Park character. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul is in the synagogue, goes from, or the 
different public locations where people are meeting to pray and gather. Then he goes somewhere else and meets in a private place, but it's a public meeting where they're expecting people to be encountering God. So I'm not, what I'm not saying today is this, that to do church effectively, we need to dress up in our winter clothes and have it in the marketplace every week, in the town center, around the millennium clock, just outside prep. We have to do church every week. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what this says. But our gatherings together are not just about us. It's not just about those who know Jesus already, those who are coming to pray, those who are coming to meet. There's an expectation that as we do that, we're helping each other and others meet with Jesus Christ. Many of us have found Jesus in meetings like this. Many people. Those of you who've done the Getting Connected course, which is most people here in different forms, are formally doing it now. We sit and share testimonies, and Giles will often share a testimony of his own coming to Christ where he was in this room and gave his life to Jesus in a, in a meeting similar to this and responded to Christ. That's what happens to so many people. We've got stories of meeting places, gathering times where the church had gathered to worship where we, we decided to follow Christ, where we heard God's call. And that's where it happens so often. Not every time, but often. That's what happens when we gather together as believers. An awareness of that helps shape what we do when we're together and how we encounter God because we, we know that we're encountering God and helping others do the same. So, how do we do this? Spiritual gifts is the first one on my list. One of the ways that we can help each other encounter God is spiritual gifts. Andy, earlier on, stopped the meeting, gave a word from God, encouraged us to respond, asked us to put our hands up, He's hearing from God at that point, not because he's the one with the microphone, but because he's open to hearing from God and God speaking to him. There may be many many others here who've got a sense of God speaking to them, and what we encourage you to do is come forward so that everybody else can hear through the mic as well, because we're expecting that God, through his Holy Spirit, has given gifts that are here amongst us so that we can all be built up and encouraged. It says that in the Bible, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Holy Spirit's given to you to give you spiritual gifts so that you can be a blessing to others. It's exciting. There's a whole load of gifts that are given. Paul writes about a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. All the work of the one and the same Spirit, giving to each one as he determines. Very interesting. I just want to emphasize one point under this, that spiritual gifts are given for the common good, not to build you up individually. There's a slight difference when it comes to speaking in tongues. We believe that those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are enabled to speak with tongues. And Paul writes this, that if you do speak in tongues... This is to speak in a language that you've not learned, enabled by the Holy Spirit, um, as the people seem to do in the book of Acts. That seems to be the common pattern through. People encounter God, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in this language they've never learned. Um, And Paul says, when you do that, you're edifying yourself. You're building yourself up. You're encouraging yourself in God. You're building yourself up in God. It's a great thing to do. This is the reason why we encourage people to speak in tongues encourage people to to use that gift that God's given. But to do so, recognizing that they're building themselves up. That means I encourage everybody who can to speak in tongues every day. 
It's a good thing to do. But when we gather together as church, we tend not to encourage people to do that publicly here. Why, you might be asking. For that very reason, that we've come to encounter God together and to help others to encounter God together. Me building myself up doesn't actually help anybody else encounter God at the same time. Paul puts it like this. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than, more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I'm not saying it's banned. If you're praying in tongues quietly under your breath, that's fine. If you want to speak out and somebody else will interpret it so that we might understand, that's also brilliant. But we're here to worship God and to build each other up. And spiritual gifts are given for building up the whole church. It's great, isn't it? Communion's another thing we do regularly. For us, it's once a month at least, and then uh, privately in people's homes or in life groups. Uh, why? Because Jesus tells us to. This is something that you can't do on your own. You can't easily exercise spiritual gifts on your own in your bedroom. You can't easily prophesy or give a, a, a tongue and interpretation and receive that word yourself easily at home in your bedroom. Similarly, communion, the whole point of communion is that it's not just us and God, but it's us together. As, as Paul says, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. There's something about this shared feast uh, together that's important to be together. Thirdly, we demonstrate love when we gather together. Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Me, sat in my bedroom at home, give myself a big hug, doesn't help anybody know that I'm Jesus' disciple. I can feel good about myself, but demonstrating love really helps. We gather to pray, as we've done today. We've declared that God is sovereign over different things. It's a great example of how we can come and pray. In the book of Acts, we read of a particular crisis, and they gather together to pray, and then the, the Bible carries on and says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly. A similar passage, same sort of time, we come together to give. We've already received our offering, but this is a, a giving that's not just into the church. This is people giving to each other and supporting each other. It says this, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. And again, this doesn't work really well at home, does it? Well, I'm a bit short today. Well, how much have I got? Oh, I'll give that to myself. Thank you very much. It doesn't quite work. It's not really a great model of people supporting each other and giving to themselves. So we're richer when we come together because we can support each other. Commissioning. The service that we went to last night was for street pastors and prayer pastors commissioning. The whole point of this is that the gathered church prayed for those being commissioned into their ministry. And this happens again and again. As we gather together, we pray for those who are going out. Mission, ministry in different ways. We have a role to do that for each other. When someone's going on mission, whether that's to the workplace or to the home or to the streets or overseas, it doesn't matter where we're going, we, us praying for each other is so important. We send people on mission. That's what the early church did here. Sending Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, for the work to which God had called them. It's after this that Saul's name changes to Paul. After he's been prayed for and sent out, not after God appears to him first time around. It's interesting, isn't it? So it's, it's the change of his name is to do with mission and sending. We encourage one another. 
Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together or gathering, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I know I'm preaching to the choir today. You're here. You've gathered. But I want to encourage you as to why we're doing this, to give you some incentive and motivation to do it even better. We gather to share the same story, to hear stories, to tell stories, to share the story. John writes this, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. He's talking about seeing Jesus specifically, but I think there's a power in telling story and sharing the stories of what God's doing. There's loads of other things I could have said, but we haven't got time. Baptism, agreeing together, uh, multi-generational, that's really important. Titus talks about older people and younger people together encouraging each other. That's really important. All sorts of things we could do. Uh, And many of those things you can do in a friendship group. You could, I suppose, get together in a small group of mates and do many of these things and call it church. And yet, there's an incredible power in our diversity. You see, our power isn't in our unity alone, because you can get a group of people who think the same, who are from the same background, who dress the same, who like the same music, who enjoy the same films, and they're all the same, but that doesn't give their unity power, because people expect them to be the same. Our power in our unity comes from our difference and our diversity. It comes from the fact that we're old and young. It comes from the fact that we're different continents of background. We're we're different experiences. And Paul writes this, that now in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You can't do this on your own. You have to gather together as, as part of the church to be with people that naturally you wouldn't get on with. And maybe you don't get on with. But somehow, together, we can represent Christ to this world as we pray together and support each other and are united together. So how do we make this gathering business work really well? Point number one, stop going to church. It's time to stop going to church. It might sound a bit weird, given what I've just said. The Church of England statistics, sadly, are that the numbers are going down, as many churches are. And there's a decline of people going to church. Bowden's taking it very literally. I'm sorry, Ade. But the point is this, we were never meant to go to church in the first place. We're meant to start being the church. So it's time to stop going as if we're going to an event and and stop being and becoming and living as the church. The church is a community of people encountering God, displaying him to our community, living in unity together, providing a community of honesty and integrity and diversity, and, and yet with a single focus to glorify God. That's why we are part of church, to see God's spirit at working in us, to support and care for each other and encourage one another and challenge each other to pray together, to live together. That's not something you go to. It's something you're part of. So it's time to stop going and start being. It's time to value the private and the public. I've realized that this thing that we do on a Sunday doesn't work well if it's the only time we encounter God in a week. 
if I'm honest. It really doesn't work well. If this is it for you, for me, if actually we've had a really busy week and this is our fix of meeting with God and whatever happens in this hour and a bit, hour and a half just over, it is the time I have with God. It isn't going to serve us well for the whole week. Not least because we've not come to give into the life of each other and support each other. We've just come going, oh, I've not been with God at all. I need my fix. Now, if that's you and that's how you've come today, that's okay. It is okay because God still works and he's still available and he still wants to meet with you. So the good news is you can meet with God just like that. But I'm talking about how to value it the most and how to get the most from our time together as church. If we want to increase what we're doing in our gatherings, if we want to see God move more, we come ready. We come ready. Because what we do on a Sunday can't replace what happens in the week. And if you haven't got time, I encourage you, please, just have a look at what might be taking your time away from time with God. It it might be the TV. Maybe just get home from work and collapse in front of the TV. And the TV goes on and your brain goes off and it's just a chance to let stuff wash over your head. I know that feeling. But but maybe you could carve out a few minutes to, to invest some time with Jesus, to encounter him privately, as Don was talking about last week. If it's social media or emails or gaming or whatever it might be, then just just try and move some aside to meet with God because when we gather together as church, we'll be so much more effective when we do, if we've done that. As I said earlier, if you haven't done that, don't feel condemned because it's better to meet with God in community than not at all. But if you're going to, do it both. Finally, I think I might have one more actually, not quite finally. Stop fitting in and start fitting in. You know, when you join a group of people, you want to go and fit in, don't you? I remember when I started working at my uh, church we were at previously. I was there for 11 years. I remember as a young man uh, being appointed to be assistant pastor in this church. And there seemed to be quite a lot of rules and regulations and expectations. And so uh, I wanted to fit in. And I remember buying and wearing a really awful jacket. Um, like, one, like not a suit jacket, but a kind of smart jacket that you might wear. Jacket and trousers kind of thing. And it was hideous for me as a 25-year-old. It would have been okay on a man who was old enough to be my granddad. It would have just about been okay. But I wore this thing to fit in. And I found a photo of me fairly recently wearing this and thought, why? Why on earth had bad hair and just this, this terrible jacket to try and fit in a bit? And it wasn't me. And all of us can do this. We can join a group of people and try and modify our behavior to be kind of accepted, and we get how this works. None of us wants to stand out. Nobody wants to go to the, the party that the invitation says smart, casual, and you've turned up in your flip-flops and your shorts. You, know, you don't want to be that person who stands out for that reason. But it's time to start fitting in in a different way. You see, Paul says that the, the church, when it gathers together, is like a body, and, and every single part has a function. That every bit of the body, everything that's hidden and unseen and all the seen parts all work together because otherwise the body doesn't work. And so I would encourage you not to fit in with a clothing style or a dress sense or, or, or that kind of stuff. Put that to one side. Don't put your clothes to one side, but put that fitting in bit to one side. And start fitting in by playing your part. Be who it is that God's called you to be. It's time to rise up and grab hold of who you are in God and who we are, who God's made us to be. Why? Because when you're who you are meant to be in God, you can bless me and build my life up. And me being who I'm meant to be in God builds your life up. And so together we're building each other up. And by fitting in together, we make the body grow. 
This is my final. Come ready. Come ready every day. Every time we gather together as church, come ready, prayed up, ready to hear, ready to take notes. With a Bible, do bring a Bible to church, either a physical one or an app on a phone or something like that, but, but come ready to meet with God. Come expecting to meet with God. Why? Because it makes the whole thing work so much better. It makes us expect God's presence. It makes us ready to hear what God's saying to each other. Kids, do come in. Come in and find a place to sit. You know, as I said earlier, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sure most of us are doing this already, but I want to encourage you for us to be at our best as we gather together, for us to genuinely encounter God, not just pretend that we are. We want God to move, but it's going to take us stepping into something new. It's going to take us doing all these things, to stop going and start being, to value what God does in private and bring it into the public, to stop fitting in with each other, but start fitting in and playing our part, and to come ready. Shall we pray? I want to pray because I believe that the church is most meaningful when it's a church, when it's a group of people seeking God together honestly, powerfully, passionately, and helping others do the same. My prayer for each of us today is that we might learn what our part is to play. My prayer for you today, if you're not familiar with encountering God, is that we might be a church that can help you do that. That we might be selfless enough not to come here on a Sunday because we've been told to or because we're doing it for ourselves, but so that we can be a blessing to you. My prayer and my hope is for you, if you're new to this, that actually you'll be encouraged and blessed and we'll meet with God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you put us together in family. You put us together in community, that we're not called to live for you on our own. God, I thank you that you broke into our world in such a way that any single person here can meet with you. That we don't have to be a special group of people. We don't have to have a chapter in the Bible about our story. We don't need to have a book named after us. But because of what Jesus has done, we can meet with you and encounter you. And we say thank you. But Lord, we also recognize that we do that best when we do it privately and publicly. And I pray that you'd help us as a church to encounter you daily, but also weekly and week by week as we meet with God together. Lord, I pray you'd help us do that really well so that lots of people are meeting you for the first time here. God, if we're just tired, for those who might be tired, and for this this has become perhaps a bit of an oasis, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for that sense. And I pray that you would carry each one of us through to a place where we are meeting you in private and in public. Lord, I pray for those who are wondering what their place is. Where do I fit? What's my gifting? Lord, that you'd begin speaking and revealing yourself to them. That each one of us might play our part and see your church growing. Not just numerically, with people finding you, but in depth and encounter with you too, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Stuart. Why don't we stand together?